G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon focuses on Matthew chapter 21, verses 34 to 46, and it's entitled Trouble with Tenants. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew chapter 21, beginning at the 33rd verse. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And as it's a rather long one, uh, would you like to be seated? Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on his journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servant. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you ever read in the scriptures... The stone that the builder rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thanks, Kenny. Um, well, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to page 1232, two, two, um, because that's where we're going to be tracking in the parable of the tenants. Uh, but would you please pray with me uh, those words of Psalm 19, that final verse. May the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, today we've come to our third parable in this part of our Kingdom Come series. And surprise, surprise, it's a farming parable. Jesus has days to live. Over the last 48 hours, he's done a lot of things. He's ridden a donkey, like kings of old, into the holy city of Jerusalem. He's kicked the hucksters out of the temple. He's healed sick people. And he's created a ruckus inside the temple with children dancing around him, singing Hosanna, Saviour, Hosanna to the Son of David. At this point in Matthew, he's in the temple courts debating the religious leaders and responding to their question in verse 25. By what authority are you doing these things? First, he shuts his critics down with a wise comeback. Then he tells three parables, all designed to help us understand who he is and where his authority comes from. First is the parable of the two sons, which we looked at last week. Today, we're looking at the second parable, the parable of the tenants. It's another farming vineyard parable. And you may wonder why Jesus is always banging on about farming. In Matthew alone, this is the 12th time Jesus has used farming imagery as a teaching tool. This is partly because Jesus knows his audience. Many of them were farmers themselves. It's also because Jesus knows his Bible. He knows his Old Testament. The Old Testament is chock full of illustrations of Israel as a vineyard and God as the vine grower. The parable of the tenants is almost a copy-paste job from Isaiah 5, which says, My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest of vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Today, Jesus is riffing off this parable in Matthew 21 to tell us about who God is, to talk about the wonderful world he's given us. He also inserts the tenants into this parable from Isaiah to show us how damaging ungratefulness is. He exposes the violence that he's about to endure, and then he calls us to have courage to live for his kingdom. So let's think about this fine-tuned vineyard. Jesus begins his parable like this. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. See, it's familiar. It's, It's It's carbon copy. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. 
Now, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out that the landowner is God, the vineyard is Israel, and the tenant farmers are the religious leaders. What we need to appreciate about this part of the parable is how beautiful this vineyard setup is. The vines are already planted. There's a wall around to keep out feral animals. There's a wine press and even a watchtower, a place where farming families could live. They could keep an eye on their crops and on their workers, and they could also ward off intruders. This is a perfect, modern, turnkey operation. The landowner does all the work. Then he just finds some tenants, and all they need to do is care for it, and it will produce fruit. This makes me think about how perfectly set up our world is. The more scientists learn about our world, the more they marvel at how many variables synchronize perfectly to make life possible on our planet. They call it um, the, the argument from fine-tuning of the universe. It's almost as if all these dials have been lined up perfectly to make our planet livable. For example, if the Earth were just a bit farther or closer to the sun, no life could happen on planet Earth. If the universe expanded slower or faster than it does, no life on Earth could happen. Our Earth tilts at 23.5 degrees because of the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon, which gives us our seasons and brings life to Earth. Our planet is 21% oxygen. If it were 20% or 21% or 22%, there would be no life on our planet. You get the point. There are thousands of these variables that line up to make our planet livable. Even the most skeptical scientists can't deny that our world is perfectly set up for life. The probability of this happening by chance is like that of a t tornado tearing through a junkyard and leaving behind an airplane. We live in a wonderfully designed universe, and to ignore the designer isn't just foolish, it's callous. Jesus shows us why in verse 34. Look with me at verse 34. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants were treated the same way. Rather than being grateful for this awesome gift, the tenants choose violence. Sadly, we've all heard stories of tenants like this. People who occupy a property, refuse to pay rent, and then trash the place. TV programs like A Current Affair thrive on stories of bad tenants. And Jesus here shows us that they've been around for over 2,000 years. The amazing thing about this story is that the landowner gives the tenants every chance to repent. They get way more than three chances. They beat, they kill, and they stone 
the owner's servants. The servants here in this parable are the prophets. History shows us the the prophets were ignored by their people and many of them came to sticky ends. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah was stoned. And John the Baptist was beheaded. God has spoken to his people, but they haven't listened. He's called his people to a harvest of righteousness and justice, but they've shot the messengers. Sadly, this isn't the worst of it. In verse 37, we read, Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Once again in Matthew, Jesus prophesies his death right in front of the men who will make it happen. He is the son, God's one and only son. The Jewish leaders have occupied the temple. And when Jesus comes to claim what is rightfully his, they'd rather kill him than listen. Now, we need to be careful not to isolate these leaders. Jesus' problem is with the Jewish leaders, but this isn't a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. Throughout history, when God speaks, his message falls on deaf ears. In our own day, church leaders regularly ignore God and his word. They do it all the time. But if we're honest, at different times, we are all guilty of living as if God doesn't matter. This is why we need to let this parable speak into our own lives and think about where we've closed our hearts to God, where we've refused to accept his rightful reign over our lives. We need to realize that we've failed in our call to care for God's creation and the people he's put in our lives. We also need to see that being agnostic or apathetic towards God isn't a neutral choice. Ignoring God is a problem, whoever you are. I sometimes hear friends sincerely say, well, my spouse, my child, my neighbor doesn't believe in God, but they're a good person and they do nice things. It's it's almost as if God must bless people who ignore him because they do good things. No. Here we need to see that living in God's world as if God doesn't exist hurts us, it hurts the world, and it's a blight against God our maker. And while this sounds like bad news, it's good news, because it helps us understand the heart of our human problem. We face problems every day, whether it's uh, mental health issues, uh, relationship breakdowns, or stresses at work. In 2021, the most common worries Australians had were coronavirus, understandably in 2021, uh, climate change, and poverty. Over the next week, leading up to the referendum, you might be worried about division, about racism, and about the future of our nation. 
These are all legitimate worries. But here Jesus shows us that the key reason the world we live in isn't the fruitful, wonderful vineyard it was created to be is because we have rejected our creator. A story is told of um, grade one students uh, whose teacher gave them big globs of plasticine to make a model world on their desks. And they spent the whole day doing this, building beautiful little houses, little people, um, swimming pools, gates, everything. They spent hours perfecting their models. The teacher then asked them to make rules for their world to make sure the world and its creatures was cared for. At the end of the day, the teacher congratulated the students on their hard work and asked them a question. What would you do to someone who broke the rules and ruined your world? A quiet little girl who didn't, didn't speak much looked up at the teacher and said, Miss, I'd rip their legs off. <laughs> it's extreme. And this is in line with the answer given by Jesus' listeners in the temple that day when he asked them, what should the landowner do to those tenants? In verse 41, they say, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. There are so many fingers being pointed in every direction in our world today. But as the saying goes, whenever you point a finger at someone else's shortcomings, there are three fingers pointing back at you. Friends, the good news is that if we can identify the ultimate source of suffering in our world, sin, then we can acknowledge the source. And we can also find the solution, who is the saviour. Jesus calls us to courage to live for the kingdom. And this is where verse 42 is absolutely glorious. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord himself has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 is all about God's never-ending love. Evil surrounds him, but God overwhelms it with grace and love. Here, Christ calls himself the cornerstone. The people are rejecting God, but through his rejection, God will bring about his rescue plan. While his enemies surround him and seem, it seems like the tenants in the parable have the upper hand and the last word, actually God is in control. Even now, this gracious God who gives us way more chances than we deserve is working out our redemption. You see, on its own, the parable is tragic. But with this ending, it's marvelous. As evil swirls around Jesus, as powerful people plot to kill him, God is working out his salvation plan. He is finding new tenants, good tenants. The question for us is, will we be good tenants? 
will we have the courage to build our lives on the capstone and take Jesus as our missing piece? Jesus here is challenging us not to be wicked tenants, but to humble ourselves and be useful servants. He's calling us to build our lives on him and to go into God's vineyard, our world, to bear a harvest of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The master of the vineyard isn't spiteful and bitter. The master of the vineyard is calling new tenants. Jesus knows the sun will rise again. He will send the Holy Spirit and the church, the physical manifestation of God's kingdom, will rise at Pentecost. Darkness is swirling around Jesus, but the darkness cannot overcome his light. And in this passage, Jesus is calling us to mission, to mission in his world. Friends, there are many ways we can apply this teaching to our lives. We need to take this warning that living life without Jesus is no life at all and makes us bad tenants. We need to recognize our creator and how he calls us to be fruitful. And we need to see that one day he's coming back to call us to accounts. Jesus is calling us to have the courage to build our lives on him and live for his kingdom. And there are many areas of our lives that we can apply this to, but I just want to apply it to one today and give you a bit of a case study. I want to think about specifically how we as a church care for children and youth. If we don't care for the church, Jesus tells us it will be taken away from us. Churches across Australia are closing all the time. And it's partially because we haven't passed the faith on to our children. We've kept it to ourselves. We've used Sunday services as a personal pick-me-up and a time to catch up with friends. We've let others volunteer for Kids Church, for RI and for Youth Group. But if God is calling us to care, care for his vineyard, We are to nurture the faith of our little ones. We need to be involved in ministry to children as a church. We all do. Could you prepare kids' church resources? Could you join an RI teacher once a week for a lesson or two just to support them? Could you help cook for youth groups sometime? This is one of the reasons why, as a church, we're looking to employ a youth ministry intern to help raise up the next generation. This is why we're taking a retiring collection for Araya, and Colin will talk a little bit more about that at the end of the service. This is why our kids' church leaders give so generously of their time to raise up the next generation for Jesus in our town. And so today, I want to encourage you to spend some time with God, asking him how he wants you to care for his vineyard. Don't walk away from church today without challenging yourself to do more to care for our kids. The next generation needs us to tell them about Jesus 
and show him how to build their lives on the cornerstone. I can do better in this area. I think we all can too. Let's have the courage to live for the kingdom today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.